Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. And turn about a one page. And you should get around Genesis chapter 1. You can look at one verse tonight. Verse 1 of a message titled, In the Beginning. There's a lot of speculation with people. Um, I'm pretty black and white. I'm not even talking about color of people. I'm talking about what's right's right, what's wrong's wrong. And I'm one of those people that if you tell me the way it is, that's just the way it is. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not a scholar by no means. I don't uh, have doctorates and I'm not what you'd call a severely learned man, meaning I'm smart enough to get myself in trouble, but not too brilliant to get out of it. Amen? Amen. So what I say in that is it's easier for me to accept Scripture for what it is. It's harder for other people. They battle things. It doesn't make them any less of a Christian. As a matter of fact, we know what uh, Scripture, I love Ecclesiastes, a Proverbs reiterates it, but do not be overly wise. I never had to worry about that, right? Because the more wise you are, what happens? The more you question everything. What happens the more you question everything? The more confused you can become. You got to be very careful because wisdom is foolishness as the world, from the world's perspective. And I mean, the last thing in the world we all need is for them to stop making those uh, foolish contrived documentaries on the History Channel and all of those things saying, you know, Jesus had a family and all this craziness that they come up with. Uh, I don't even, it's a little straight from the pits of hell, but it's just sad because, you know, uh, there's one thing that's also not in short supply of today. Gullible people. I'm not even going to lie. That believe you can turn on, even if nothing as simple as ABC, CBS, NBC, and believe you actually get the truth. If you believe that tonight, I am scared for you. And I'm not joking. Uh, you, you, you've got to be very careful where you get your news from these days. Amen? I promise you, because there's a lot of snake oil sales going on. Uh, you just have to, all you have to do is tune into the weather to find out how bad they lie. You'll wake up in the morning and there'll be a 60% chance of rain and there's not a drop. And then you'll wake up on another day and there'll be no chance for rain and it pours all day long. Where in the world can you get paid eighty dollars to $120,000 a year to be right less than 5% of the time? Anybody? You won't do that in nursing or you won't be working long, amen? You imagine a doctor that had a 5% success rate on his surgeries? Would you go to him? I wouldn't either. I'm not trusting that at all, but uh, in all honesty and, and sincerity, though, there's a lot of things about the Bible that are hard to fathom. And though we can go from a geological standpoint, we can go from a, a standpoint of digging, and we can go from the carbon dating. Uh, it's often very funny. I remember as uh, you see the things about carbon dating, 
one of them wanted the fool to find out, you know, how accurate their carbon dating was. And he had something that looked extremely old, sent it there, and I said, you know, it's 40 million years old, and it wasn't. Um, there's a lot of speculation that goes into things like that. It's, it's not an exact science. Um, but I say that to say there comes a point where I can't understand the mind of God. I cannot understand how God is the uncaused cause. Anybody else got that figured out? Because if you do, I'm going to sit down and let you talk. Okay, good. We're on the same footing tonight. I can't fathom, when you look at what's happening right now with this new telescope, anybody know the name of it? The Webb Telescope. It's seeing incredible things, galaxies, and I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating what it's seeing. What is it doing? It's proving what we already know. But before the first telescope ever looked out into space, the Bible had already said that there were going to be, right, more descendants than the sands, the seashore, the stars in the sky. That's a lot. But what's happening is we see this ever-expanding universe, meaning it hasn't been expanding. It's there, and guess what? It's been there all along. God's Word talked about it. You know what you could find out from the Bible long before they ever admitted it? That the earth wasn't flat. All of the things that, you know, God's Word talks about, it is so neat that the more we study, the more wisdom we get, the more it affirms the truth of the Bible. But I'm just going to look at this one verse tonight, and hopefully it encourages you, challenges you to have a very high view of God. Because without a high view of God, you're not only going to not understand what loving him is and serving him and glorifying him is, everything else in the flow chart of life is never going to fall in the proper place. Does it mean if you agree with this first verse of the Bible that you will have everything figured out? No. By the way, let me just give you an introduction into something. We're never going to have it all figured out. If you will get to the place where I'm at and be okay with that and go, God, I just want to fulfill the purpose and plan you have for me. I don't need to understand it all. You're going to give me all the wisdom that I need one day. And by the way, as much as I jokingly say, I can't wait to ask God, why in the world did you create flies? You know, I know why I did, but these questions we say we're going to have for him, it's going to be the last thing on our mind when we enter his presence. But tonight we're going to focus on Genesis chapter one. I hope you're able to physically stand if you are. For the reading of God's word. <clears throat> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Father God, speak to our hearts tonight through your word. Encourage us, challenge us, Father, to a greater level, a greater walk with you, a greater faithful commitment, Lord, to be disciples, true disciples, Lord, walking hand in hand with you. God, thank you that you pour out your thoughts to us, Lord, as your word says, when we seek you with all of our hearts, you will be found. God, I pray that all of us tonight will go home, dig in your word, grow to a greater degree, Lord, so that we can carry out the purpose and plans you have for our life. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the beginning. How much have you thought about that? In the beginning. Now, a lot of people think that that means, well, in the beginning when God created the earth. Wait a second. You got to look further then. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now you might go, wait a minute, Brother Jonathan. Uh, what if 
Listen to what I'm just going to tell you. Let's just, for argument's sake, makes it a lot easier. Let's just say he created it all. Because he is the uncaused cause. Now then your question begins with, well, what was he doing before that? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what God, does it matter what God was doing before he created the heavens and the earth? Doesn't matter. Does it change anything about God's creative purpose, creative plan, Christ, the whole entire Christology from cover? Does it change anything? No. That's why I think it's important to focus, focus on these few verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the first thing I want to share with you is this tonight. God is the beginning of everything. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Some versions, and the earth was formless and void. Is that not what the King James says? Well, as mine says right here, that the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface, the watery depths. This is, remember, so he created the earth, and it was formless and empty. And darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. What does that tell you that there was not at that point? There was no sun. There was no light. So when you say he was creating earth but not... Whoa, 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 you just mixed up. You messed up because there was no sun. You hear me saying? Because the next verse, it goes into that. So you can start to deconstruct these things where we start to get real smart and think, huh, yeah, the sun was there and everything. He just created the earth. Well, he says the heavens and the earth. So guess what? The uncaused cause was there before all of it was spoken ex nihilo into existence. So then people want to naturally go to the thing of, well, who created God? You know what? First of all, there's no explanation for that because he is the uncaused cause. And the ability for me to comprehend God's existence is impossible because he doesn't need me to explain him. <laughs> Amen? So the good thing about it tonight, though, is I recognize that God is the beginning of everything. God did not have to go to the celestial pile of rubble and go, all right, let's see, I need about, you know, uh, 450 billion metric tons of, and, you know, get together and stand up in space there for a little while as he's balanced. No, God spoke it and it happens. That is one of the issues, though, that we have with the fact of comprehension of God is that God's power is unable to be fathomed. It's not able to be comprehended. There's a lot of things that I can't understand. I have one of those little things that you can stand on. It's a little scooter. It's, a, it's a, a, like a Segway. And you, you, you can stand on it. And you know what it does? Whether I'm on it or not, you know what it does? It stands there by itself standing upright. It doesn't matter what you do to it. It stands upright. The gyroscopic force of what it has inside of it allows it to stand straight up all the time, no matter what you do. You may not end up staying upright, but it will stand upright after you fall off. It will stand upright like, hey, you ready to go? I can't understand that. I'm not even joking. I, that was only in my comprehension as a child something of myth, of legend. You remember those little things? Uh, what were those that you could spin the inside of it, those metal things when I was a kid that had a string on the outside, not a top. 
Gyroscope. Okay, just gyroscope. Remember those little things when you were a kid? That's, that's what the principle that works on. But it's always going to remain upright. It is able to stand up whether you're on it or whether you're not. I can't understand and fathom the complexity of the software and the parts that work. Now, that's not even that complicated, right? When you start thinking about nuclear fission and when you start going into some very serious, complex things, even with the human body, you are way past the ability for the average human being to comprehend things. We're not even talking about what it would require in the level of power for God to be able to speak out of nothing the existence of something tangible. Is it just me? Or have you, have you just lost me in the game? You've lost me in the game of that. Maybe I didn't lose you. Maybe you are smart enough to comprehend that. And I, hey, I'm thankful for you. Because people like you can help me understand what I can't understand. The great thing is, though, I'm okay with understanding that God spoke ex nihilo, out of nothing, everything that we know into existence, and I'm okay with that. Now you go, I've heard people say, well, you know, we've got these fossils and you've got this, that, and the other. Well, it doesn't change the fact that God spoke it into existence. Does it make people question timelines? That's fine, you can question it, but I know that God created it. That's what I do know. And I know that nothing exists outside of God and outside of His creation and outside of His plans. So it is actually much easier for me to just recognize that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then as we slowly unfold the rest of that and you see each part in His creation of time with which God created solely for us. Remember, God doesn't need time. God exists outside of time. God didn't need to, oh, I need to create a watch, so let's just do time. No, God gave us time. Can you imagine if we lived in a, in a universe that had no time, no seasons, no extremes? Can you imagine? You know what you need to appreciate living in Hawaii? Not living there. You know why? When you live every day in the perfect climate and environment, you take it for granted. Oh, no, I'd never do that. Really? How many of us, every day, when we turn on a light, stand there in the absolute fascination of what it's like to turn on a light for the first time? Nobody in here much. Maybe a few of you. You remember, though, when you got that light, you remember when you got the, anybody in here remember when you got the first electric light bulb in your house? Anybody? Nobody in here old enough for that. You remember that? Was it not an anomaly for you? Did you sit there probably and do that a hundred times? They wouldn't let you. There you go. But it fascinated you, didn't it? But you know what happens in short order? You're, you don't live with that fascination for long, do you? Because you take it for granted. I guarantee you there's people in this room that there was a time in your life when you turned on the spigot, water never came out. There wasn't a spigot in your house. You went and brought water into your house. How many people in here remember growing up as children with an outhouse outside? And the first time you were able to use a restroom in the house, you were blown away. And you could not imagine 
a time that they would have a bathroom inside of a house. Do you know what happens in short order? Take it for granted. See, it's easy because the human condition, we get used to things, we're not blown away. And thinking about the power of God and thinking about our place and all of those things, that, you know, the smarter we get, it's like these things aren't so special and beautiful anymore. And thinking about the gift of salvation, if you're not careful and the enemy gets what his desire is, which is for us to be complacent and apathetic. And he wants us to see the discipline structure of Scripture as, you know, my parents did it the wrong way, so I'm just not going to discipline at all because my parents didn't do it right. And I'm not one of those people that likes to spank. I think it's bad. Well, you can do whatever you want to. You have all the reason and right in the world to ruin your children. We all do. Or we see what God's Word says. We see the warning of Scripture. Not only spare the rod, spoil the trial, but the next verse says when we do not discipline our children, we partake in their death. Now, you can look at that from the spiritual context of saying, oh, I understand that. Spiritual death means that we die lost. So um, that wouldn't mean that because it's just discipline in this life. So, oh, I know what they're talking about. They might do something foolish and get shot and, or maybe they'll get arrested and beat up and killed by a policeman or run over or do some drugs or something. The sad part is it's actually referring to both of them. It's referring to a physical death in this life, but it's also speaking to the eternal spiritual death, which is the second death, which is the worst. Because to die lost and without hope is the worst thing that could ever happen to a human being of any. I don't care who they are. I don't want anybody to die lost. I want no one to enter a place separated from God where God merely gives someone the desire of their heart in that place separated from God for all eternity. We call it hell. But the reality of it is it's a place separated from God with no chance for redemption, no hope, nothing. And that is an eternal place where God simply and merely gives someone their will. I don't want that. But yet God, in the astounding level of love that God has, gives mankind the free ability to reject him. See, the second thing tonight is this. I already shared part of it, but God created ex nihilo everything. God created all. And in the God is the beginning of everything, as your first point is. And remember, that God created everything. So there is nothing that's created that God hasn't created. There's nothing that can exist outside of sovereign hand of God. And anything mankind has created has been with the elements with which God has created Acts chapter 17, verse 28. For in him we live, move, and have our being. Creation is a gift from God. It is the work of God. And therefore, what is the purpose of it? We were created to glorify God and to do his good will, his purpose. That's what the reason God created us. So wait a minute, Brother John. You said this morning that God knows what any man, woman, or child will ever do with the gift of salvation. So when God allows someone right now to be born who's ultimately going to reject him and spend their eternity lost, well, what was God's desire for them not to serve him? Yeah, it was. Just because God knew what they were going to choose doesn't mean that God chose it for them. God still allows mankind the chance, and as a matter of fact, what does Scripture say? The heavens declare the glory, the earth the work of his hands. 
So creation in and of itself is testifying to the creative hand of God. The same way that when you go into the woods and see a plane crash, you don't go, oh, look at this evolutionary genius. Oh, we know something created something, right? You can't tell me that you can look at this and say, oh, we evolved and I have not seen any monkeys walking out of the the zoo going, hey, it's time for me to integrate myself into society now, have you? I mean, really, think about it. Because if the evolutionary process and biology from basic form, they want to buy along that life form, that, oh yeah, we just all evolved from this goop. Why did it stop? Because evolution never stops, right? If you believe that line of thinking, it doesn't just all of a sudden go, all right, I perfected itself, now I'm going to stop. But that's what would have to be the, because where is all the transitionary right now? It, it, this should not have stopped in the level that it is now. Now, I'll tell you what I will believe, and I, I do believe. You see the changes in us as humans, but that's not evolutionary life form being developed from it. It's just the bodies that we have that are adapting to the environment around us. Amen? I don't have a problem with that. You know, that's not even a bad thing for a Christian to see because it's true. You can have two species that, right? You have a, a, a green bird and a, a yellow bird and they mate. And guess what? You're going to have some mix between the two birds. That's okay, isn't it? It's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. doesn't mean that God's creation has askewed itself and something's happened. No. See, the heavens declare the glory of the work of God's hands. And God has created these bodies of ours. They're incredibly able to adapt even to different environments. You go stick me in sub-Saharan Africa right now, Brothers and sisters, it's not going to be good. I'm going to be hotter than a firecracker. You put me up in the North Pole right now, I will whine until you take me home. As a matter of fact, I'll probably whine louder than anybody's ever whined in your lifetime. My hands turn blue, purple, and I'm going to get foul quick. But you have people that live up there all the time. They go out there with no hat on and, you know, a t-shirt when it's 20 degrees outside because that's burning hot for them. They're used to 30 below in the wintertime. It's the, the adaptations, the places that God's placed people at all over the globe. And the differences that God has given each of us that are unique, and it's really an awesome thing. But see, the uncaused cause is the creative genius behind all of it. When I sit here and I, I imagine the complexity of the human eyes, it, it astounds me the creative perfection that God gave us in his creation. I can't even fathom the fact that we see everything upside down. But your brain changes those images in the time it's processing what's being seen. It's just astounding to me. The creationary things that God's allowing in medicine right now, that's extending life and helping people just a hundred years ago, church, right now, do you realize that the common cold in many cases could end up in and would end up in death? You want to talk about something? You get strep throat, scarlet fever. You know what happened a hundred years ago, right? A little over a hundred years ago right now? You were a dead duck. Anybody know about the influenza of 1918? Killed how many? Let's do it in the country terms. A bunch. 
It decimated. You can go in any, you can go to the cemetery right next to our house and you can see grave after grave of young and old alike, dead, gone, dead from the 1918, the flu, Spanish flu they call it, right? The modern advancements that God has allowed in medicine is astounding. I don't know why God's allowed it really. But even the, in thinking, I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, thinking about how the things that we're able to look up now, just in Googling something, we have so much at our fingertips. When you have a question about the Bible, I can't imagine, even 30 years ago, reading a King James Bible and trying to do a deep study quick on Scripture. I, I could not imagine because the old English language is difficult for me at best. And yet being able to go and do an exhaustive scripture, a search on something, I can't imagine because of the books you'd have to get out from the different people. And right now on my computer, if I remember correctly, I have like eight or 10,000 commentaries. And I can go in there and look at a hundred people's picture of what they, they see in that text. And I can lay them on the screen right next to each other, along with the interlinear Greek and Hebrew. I can go right in there and have the actual and the Greek Hebrew and word by word go through each one of them that fast. Now, with whom much has been given, right? Much is required. That's why I think it's very important that we're careful because Scripture talks about what would happen in the end times. Not only was 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, you know, there'll come a time when men will not stand for sound doctrinal teaching, but will gather around them many teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Boy, if we're not ever there. Because now, remember, when you looked at this part, 1 Corinthians, uh, was it 5? In biblical times, let's just say we're at, um, we're at First Baptist Ephesus, right? We're, there's no first bat, right? This is, you're at the church. You're at the church. That's all they had, the church. So you're involved in that ecclesia, that home church, and you get mad because why? Well, the preacher didn't shake my hand, right? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going back. You just march your little self out of there because you're going to go down the street to another one. There wasn't another one. And you know what happened at that moment? You just had an entire church full of people that were your everything. Your friends, your acquaintances, your co-workers. And all of those people were familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And you know what they know? With such a person, do not even eat. What business of it is us to judge those outside? Expel the wicked person from among you. So that person all of a sudden found themselves in sparse company. In their work life, in their home life, in their fellowship life, instantaneously. So what they were able to do is immediately begin to feel the ramifications of what it means when you are outside the camp, as in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were in the desert. Someone had involved themselves in sin. They didn't want to play by the picture of what God's purpose, plan, and will for their life was. That's no problem. You feel free to step outside the protective boundaries of the camp. You know what they found out real fast? You don't want to be out there because you're exposed to elements. You don't have the love. You don't have the nurture. You don't have the protection. But God did that so that people could understand what it was like to be separated from him. 
To be separated from the fellowship, separated from the love, separated from the acceptance. Finding that understanding of what it means when you remove yourself from the blessing of God. So hence, we're back at this conundrum. All right, Ephesus, you have no problem. Because what happens is, just like the person outside of the camp in the Old Testament quickly felt the isolation, the alienation, and the thought process began to quickly be invoked of, I don't like this. I love my friends. I love my church family. I love my coworkers. I love to have this fellowship of believers around me. What am I doing? That pastor didn't mean, he's never been like that to me. What am I thinking? The enemy has convinced me that these people are my enemies and they're not my enemies. These people love me. What would happen is that person would come back with a spirit of repentance and as Paul even addressed uh, in Acts, even addressed it in Acts also, it says what? Forgive them. Welcome them back quickly so that they're not overwhelmed in their sorrow. They would be restored to the body. And you know what you did? You went on just like it had never happened. Fast forward to modern day. Wolves, goats, in fellowships all over the place, coming in, triggered to be offended. Oh, yeah, coming in looking for a new church. So excited. We're just uh, excited about things and full of ideas and dreams. Full of mischief and mayhem in a lot of cases. What do they do? They began to sow bitter roots of discord, which Scripture says you better be careful when they do that. Start to try to sow distension among the body. Start to try to get the disunity of fellowship stirred up. And then one day, because they're triggered already, oh, you, you told them they look beautiful. And they thought you said they looked bountiful. And they said you thought you, you said something about their weight. So they get all upset and they get all bent out of shape. And they don't do what Matthew 18 says and come to you and go, you know, did you make a comment about my weight? It kind of offended me. No, no, we don't say that. No, we get soiled up and we leave and get on Facebook and tell about the whole world about how you cannot believe that somebody judged you based on your weight. Not only did they never say it, they said you looked beautiful, not bountiful. But you allowed the prince and the power of the air, the air waves, to warp a compliment into something that you wanted to be offended with all along you were just waiting for it. So you get online and not only is your sin bad enough in your lack of being compassionate, loving, and as, as scripture says, as far as it concerns, you live at peace with all men. You've decided to take your custer's last stand. So you've gotten on Facebook and you've had a thousand comments. By the way, when you put a Bible verse up there, nobody responded. If not, it was one or two people. But when you said something negative about the church, oh, it was wonderful because you've, you've got something trending now. So you're able to take the name of Christ and slander it all over Facebook or wherever it is online and bring disgrace and dishonor on the name of Christ. By the way, remember the whole root of this, it was nothing that was real in the first place. And you've got this whole entire camp and everybody else and their mother telling you either never go back to church or come to their church, it'll be so much different. So you go from first Baptist to second 
And instead of feeling the isolation and alienation that Scripture intended for us to feel, you go and get openly embraced in your sin. And since you're the one casting the narrative, do you go in there and tell them the truth? No, you wouldn't dare. Because who in the world is going to go in there and make somebody think negatively about them? You're going to go in there and cast yourself as a victim. And you're going to have a whole church buying into what is nothing more than a grandiose lie. And they're all comforting you in the lie that has now been birthed from an extremely innocent compliment that someone paid you. So you become more steeped in your rebellion because nothing about what you've done is biblical or scriptural. It is all based on emotion and completely devoid of anything godly, righteous, and true. Now do you understand? you see where I'm going? I've made up a totally fictitious story, but I've done it to show you how easy it is now to live as a goat or to live as a rebellious sheep going among flocks, not able to do scripturally that feeling of what in Old Testament to keep the structure of God's creative order, God's creative purpose, God's creative plan. Do you think that God intended for us to live with our emotions on our shoulder, if you know what that means? Meaning, you rule your life by emotions. Instead of someone saying something to you and going, that didn't sound right, and going home and thinking about it and going, you know, I think they said something offensive, but they're not like that, and I'm just going to let it go because it's not like them. Maybe they're not feeling good. Maybe I heard it wrong. That's the way my parents raised me. There's been things that I thought somebody said here that if I was just plumb heathen, you'd have just wanted to brawl with them, get on the floor and fight it out. That I've never even addressed, I let it go. Because I, I had the benefit of the doubt and I said, they, they, would never, they wouldn't do that to me. They wouldn't say something to hurt me. So I must have heard it wrong. Satan tried to twist the, the airwaves, principality of the air, and I'm not going to buy into that. And I would start rebuking Satan, not even the person that said what I know they probably said. But I gave it the benefit of the doubt, and I just rebuked the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. And I just went on. And a, and a day later, I never thought about it, because I don't carry grudge. I, it's, there's too much energy it takes to carry a grudge. I've never been really good at grudges, because I just get tired. So I forget about it, and we just move on, because it's exhausting to carry grudges. Those of y'all who can do that, I don't say more power to you, but I don't know how you can do it. It's just exhausting. And by the way, if you ever want more energy, stop carrying grudges and you will have tons more. Amen? And don't let the enemy invite you to the grudge in the first place, by the way. It'll take you, keep you longer than you want to stay, take you farther than you want to go, right? What does it keep you, take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay? That's what they'll, every single time, I promise you, it'll do that. But see, that's what I say tonight. When you go back to God's creative order, God created a structure with it, within his order for us. Who are we? Created purpose to glorify God and to do his goodwill. That's, that's God's creative purpose. He created this for us. It's by him, for his glory. He created us to glorify him also. Now you say, well, why in the world did he just not extricate the two trees from the garden? I got a great example. I got a great reason for that. You might not like it, 
But it's the truth of why he put it there. Had he not put the trees in the garden, we could have never chose to love, honor, glorify, and serve the Lord. Only by the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life being in the garden could we choose to only need him. Same way right now. We have the choice to eat of that tree of of sin every single day. We have a choice every single day. When you go, I can't believe how dumb they'd have been. They were living in perfection. How about the perfection of walking in God's plan and purpose as a follower of Christ and we choose to sin? huh? So stop thinking that you or I have done anything different. We've done the same thing. It's sin. And the more sin we invite in, the dumber we become. And remember who's the last one invited to the party, right? The last one that knows that everybody knows what's going on is the person in sin. Everybody else knows what's going on. Everybody else sees it plain as day. Everybody else smells it. You're the last one to the party. What? Me? What? I'm not doing anything. Oh, really? There's eyes everywhere, church. Don't forget that. You know that? People see everything. I promise you. I assure you. Does that matter to me? No, I'm not your dad. I can't bend you over my knee and spank you because you've been bad. What I'm telling you is, don't do what you shouldn't, and you won't have to worry about somebody finding out. Amen? Amen. You're doing what you shouldn't do. They're going to find out. Just be proud and embrace the actions you're in because everybody will ultimately find out the truth. Scripture actually assures that this will happen. Why? Because it's part of God's creative order. Be sure your sin will find you out. Did God just sit back one day and go, let me see, rule number 9,684, be sure your sin will find you out. No, God's holiness demands that sin will ultimately come to light. It's part of the God's character. It's part of the nature of God. The justice is the ultimate picture of who God is. He is just, he is holy, he is righteous, amen? And therefore it demands an account. Tonight, God is the beginning of everything. You want to save yourself a whole lot of heartache? Read those verses and do me this. If you don't, if you struggle with it, you know, they, they said this on this whatever, and whatever channel or whatever you've read, just lay the Bible down tonight. When you get ready to, to spend time in prayer with the Lord tonight, do this. God, I'm struggling with this because of this, that, or the other. You tell them, God, this is what's really awesome. We can be really honest with God. That's what's so cool. Anybody else know that or come to the understanding of that? You can be honest. God, I just don't like what's going on right now. I don't know why you're allowing this, God. I don't know why this, why that. Say it to him because he already knows what's going on in here. Just be honest with him. Remember, God cares so much about us. He promises to never leave us, never forsake us, and to provide all of our needs. So do you not think that he cares what the heartbeat, your heartbeat the passion, your hurts, your struggles, your battles, he does. 
Get honest with him about it. And get honest with him in the sense that, God, I need a resolution to this. And this is why I know God will answer this. Because your desire is not to have confusion. It's not to have disorder. It's to have a peace about God's word and God's creation and who God is. So when you start to pray, God, in all sincerity, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with all of it, Lord. Uh, I, I, I want to think that maybe it's just the earth was the beginning of that. And then, you know, uh, but, but Lord, it just really appears from your word that you created all of it. And I, I, I'm not tracking with it, Lord. But I need to track with truth. I need to track with what is the heartbeat of you, God. And though I know I'm constrained in myself to the limitations of the finite mind, and you are infinite, God, give me a peace about it. Affirm the truth of your word to me. And God, it's not that I doubt you, because I know you're God. I know you're real. I know you're an all-powerful, all-holy God of creation. I know you are the beginning, and I know you are the end, but God, affirm the truth, and then you just say what it is that you're struggling with. You've gotten honest with God. You've been transparent about your battle, your struggle. You are saying, God, I realize what I don't have, and I realize you're the only key to bringing clarity to this. You see why that's so powerful? See, what does God disdain? He disdains a prideful heart that says, I know that it's not real. I this, I that. No, that's pride. That's the human indifference and all of those things that we battle with as humans. But see, God is a God of order. He's a God of wisdom. He's a God that desires nothing more. As we seek him with all of our heart, what we, he will be found. God desires to pour out wisdom to us. And there's been some extremely wise pastors, shepherds, and teachers over the years. You don't think that they've ever come to the struggles that you or I have had with Scripture, the authenticity of Scripture, whatever it might be. Yeah, they have. They just were honest and authentic in the presence of the Lord with this. And what did God do? He brought peace to what was otherwise an internal storm of battle. See, he's the God of the beginning, the God of now. He's the God of forever, eternity. And he is the beginning of everything that we see, that we experience, or ever will experience. He created all of it out of nothing. And I'm so thankful. You know, John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, uh, there was... Not anything made that was made. Look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same also in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was light. I remember I memorized this in school many, many years ago. And it's so awesome because it basically points to the reality of God, again, being the uncaused cause, but there being nothing apart from Him. In the beginning was the Word. What is the Word? The Word is God. The Word was with God. Nothing was made without Him. In Him is the light. Light of Christ. It's so awesome. It's so powerful. In, in church, it's so true. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. It is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power. So much scripture, church. We could go on. We don't have time. We're out of time. But I'm so thankful that 
There is so much in God's word reaffirming the truth of the word, but also pointing to the unchanging power of God. He is the same though yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm so thankful though that truth that was relevant and powerful a thousand years ago is not only powerful and real and relevant now, but it is also real, relevant, true, and powerful. A thousand years from now, if Jesus does not come back, if God doesn't send Christ back. You know what the big battle is? The big battle is the form with which the sin we battle resides in at this moment. Culturally right now, we're watching as our nation has abdicated its role in a God-loving, God-fearing nation that truly lived what he plur- not only unum, but in God we trust. I want to continue to have that on the dollar, but I don't even think we're worthy to have it on there. I'm just going to shoot straight with you, church. We, we trust in God, but church, I'm sorry this nation does not. It's sad to me. It breaks my heart. But I'm so thankful that it doesn't change anything in my life because he is going to be in all things triumphant and preeminent and I, by God's grace, will allow him to remain in that position and that I myself might not be deceived. I myself might, well, Brother Jonathan, what are you saying? What did Paul say? So I want to run the race and I realize that I myself, that I myself might not be disqualified. Is Paul? If Paul can be, if Paul recognized the ability that he had to be shipwrecked spiritually, (laughs) God help us. Amen? Therefore, we must remain desperate for the Lord. Desperate to remain faithful in the race that only those who run it to completion receive the prize. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ tonight, you will endure, you will contend, you will run to completion. You and I are going to watch people until the day that we die that enter the race but never finish it. You're going to see people that not only are shipwrecked theologically, but people who turn to, as Scripture says, doctrines of demons. You're seeing people deny the validity of Jesus Christ as Messiah. We can't change that there are people who are going to be deluded and deceived and run amok. But the only person we can make sure crosses that finish line and faithfully stands firm is who? The one in that hula hoop. How do we do that? Again, remaining desperate for Christ, trusting and resting in the fact that in the beginning... The God of creation is the God that can sustain me, the God that can keep me, the God that can protect me. It's the God that loves me. It's the God that sent his son Jesus to die for me, and it is the God that one day I'll stand before dressed in a robe of righteousness that his son Jesus paid for on my behalf and on your behalf. And tonight, how desperate are you to enter, to dwell, and remain in his presence? I don't know. I ask you that question in closing. The God of creation that in the beginning created the heavens and the earth, created everything that we are, sent Jesus to redeem us. His desire tonight is to dwell with you. 
the dwelling that was separated in the Garden of Eden and that separation that occurred is not God's intention and desire for you. His desire is to dwell with you. And my final question is, are you dwelling with him? Are you living with him? Are you passionately submitting to God's purpose, plan, and will for your life? And if not, I would challenge you to do that tonight. Go home and do a checkup from the neck up when you lay down tonight. And I encourage you to, God, what is the sum total of my life? Where's my heart? Where's my passion? Where's my, my life? God, if I don't know you tonight, I pray that God makes you miserable. I pray that you don't sleep. I do that because I love you. And I want you to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you lay in bed tonight and agonize and don't sleep and you have a tormenting feeling of something not being right, call me tomorrow. You know what that is? It's the peace of God that not rest on us when we are outside of his desire for us as human beings, and that's to dwell with him. And I care about you, and your prayer should be that for your kids, and that prayer should be that for your spouse if they don't know Jesus, because the fulfillment in life can only come when we live out God's purpose, his plan, and God's will for our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a savior and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.